KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It seems like safety is a bigger concern than ever before in any public place, but particularly in schools. Between mass shootings, gun violence in the streets, and threats against students in marginalized groups, KYW News Radio's Mike DiNardo reported on the situation in Philadelphia schools. More police and more technology are being deployed at Philadelphia schools after a year that saw 199 students shot in their neighborhoods and 33 killed. 18 guns were found at district schools last year. The school district this year is introducing stadium-style walk-through metal detectors at 12 middle schools. And the district also wants to expand its use of drones to watch over large sporting events. Centegix is a safety platform that helps school staff send alerts quickly when a threat occurs. Their chief development officer, Dr. Roderick Sams, is a former principal who has had to respond to several incidents himself. You have to prepare your students and you have to do it when your students are with you. So if you're doing that, that means that you're probably taking time out of the instructional day to provide that level of understanding. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In-Depth, we talk with Dr. Sams along with an educator who started using these strategic systems after a shooting in her own school, Stacy Locke. She's the deputy superintendent for the Yakima School District in Yakima, Washington. When we look at safety, unfortunately, in this day and age, it is determined by presence and or threat of gun-related violence. That's primarily and unfortunately what we face most of the time. Dr. Sams and Stacy share their thoughts on new technology and school shooting drills, what really helps, and how we can prepare students for a possible attack without adding anxiety and trauma in the process. So to start, just to kind of give some context of like the human element of school shootings and what they can do. I know, unfortunately, Stacy, you were at a school where uh, this touched you. Can you kind of tell the story of what what happened and what you went through? On March 15th, uh, 2022, the Yakima School District faced a, a school shooting. Two students got into an altercation on one of our high school parking lots uh, that led to shots being fired. Trying to evacuate the campus to avoid this incident from escalating and notifying administration, the school security monitor sent staff, and students in the wrong direction. As a result, help was delayed. When the security monitor said that the shooting is taking place in the south parking lot and it's actually taking place in the northeast parking lot, that's a good almost half a mile away from each other. So you can imagine if the response is going the opposite direction. We had been working with Syntegix on finalizing a contract and lo and behold, I think it's about a month ago now, we ended up with another shooting, this one in the south end of the parking lot in a drive-by shooting where the victim was hit six times. And our response from our local police department and then from us as our safety and security department and our district administration and, and local site administration responded immediately to the correct spot and where seconds matter, uh, it helped make a difference. Uh, we managed to get the license plate, uh, the getaway car. The shooter was even bold enough to come back to the campus later that day as we were looking for him. And our director of security was able to see him and follow him, and they ended up apprehending him 
on the north end. Roderick, talk a little bit about, and I'll ask this to you as well, Stacy. like give people as a former principal, former educator, like how much does the threat of school shootings or the specter of school shootings kind of paint decisions when it comes to not just security, but kind of like everyday life? When I was a high school principal, oh, about 12, 13 years ago now, one of the things that you know, I thought about day in and day out was how to keep my faculty, staff, and students as safe as possible, right? The most safe and orderly learning environment is the primary responsibility of any school and or district leader. And so, of course, those kinds of situations are always at the front of mind. And you're always trying to figure out what are the different ways that you can better prepare, first and foremost, your faculty, staff, and students, but even the community at large on all the things that are necessary to to keep our schools as safe as possible. So those are always things that every school and district leader probably thinks about day in and day out. You know, Stacy being on the ground there every day now, that's still a primary, I'm assuming a primary part of her thought process as well. Yes, yeah, Stacy. I mean, obviously this has touched you in a very real way. This It's not an exercise. It's something you've had to deal with, as you pointed out multiple times. Like, How much does that threat factor into so many day-to-day decisions for you? Well, safety is, you know, it's priority one. And when we look at safety, unfortunately, in this day and age, it is determined by presence and or threat of gun-related violence, because that's that's primarily and unfortunately what we face most of the time. Violent and aggressive behavior, threats to kill, and then weapons other than guns, and then violent threats through social media. I mean, that is just kind of a a basket of issues that we look through, and that's our lens for providing the different layers of safety that we have in our district. We, we take the opportunity to analyze on a regular basis if, if there are gaps and if we see a gap, what are we going to be able to do to fill that so there's not a void in our response to any particular situation. I want to talk in a little bit about kind of drills and stuff like that that, that schools do, and, and I want to kind of dig into that. But I know specifically, Roderick, your, your company, I was interested in the pitch about this the impact that technology could have. And I was fascinated, like ID badges with panic buttons on them. Can you kind of dig into what, explain what that's all about and how that technology works? Yes. So I think one of the primary things to think about is that when our company was was, was founded and, and sort of the core premise of what we were founded upon was the core idea that anytime you have a situation on a campus that needs to be, you know, there's broad notification needed, there's there's four things that are, are paramount. One, identify, two, notify, three, locate, and then four, communicate. Number one, we want to make sure that we have accurate information in regards to location and identification of a threat, whatever that threat is. Obviously, we want to be able to make sure that everyone receives that information as quickly as possible and creating a notification process by which it can be done both auditorily and visually, make sure that everyone can get it as much in real time as possible. 
But the but the core of it really is making sure that it's something that can e be easily used and easily deployed, right? So of course we don't want something that's complicated. We don't want something that someone has to kind of think uh, as you are thinking about all kinds of other things that that may cloud you know your judgment in a in a moment of crisis. So simplicity is important. Accuracy is important, but also making sure that you know, the system can operate in all different kinds of conditions and not something that's not predicated on your infrastructure for support. It doesn't necessarily have to have, you know, Wi-Fi capabilities or or cellular um, capabilities. Right. Our, our system is set up in a way by which those things are not required. Everyone uh, you know, can get that information in real time, both internally and externally. Right. School districts can obviously work with local law enforcement to make sure that they have accurate information, the same information that they would potentially have about location and communicate that to them so that if they have to show up to a threat, they know exactly where to go, as, as Stacy mentioned earlier in the situation they dealt with most recently. So these are all the kind of things that Syntegics thought through very intentionally um, as we were designing our system and, and as we've made enhancements to our system over the years. It provides that comfort that I have something in my possession that I can use in a moment of threat or in a moment of crisis that I can get help when I need it. And Stacy, your district is utilizing these badges. Kind of talk a little bit more what you're seeing and what you're what you're able to do. What we had been looking for was a Bluetooth option because like Roderick said, it is not suspect to internet issues and challenges. It's not an app that somebody has to carry a phone. I mean, I, I wear it right here and all I have to do is behind my ID badge and all I have to do is press this button to get help. And so it can be done really discreetly. It helps in situations where there may be just an altercation occurring, not necessarily a guns or immediate life threatening incident. So it helps span that. What's really interesting is it's really created a culture of safety throughout the district. And so we started by saying that the, the badge is voluntary. Um, and we currently have about 90% of our staff volunteering to wear this badge. So all of a sudden, you have another 2,000 people in our community, in our schools, surrounding our area that have the eyes and ears and the ability to address crisis situations with the push of a badge. So instead of just having your safety security monitors or your SROs and your administrators being the eyes and ears out there for safety of all students and staff, now you have every employee out there with the same mindset. And it works 24-7. So anytime you're on the campus or in the campus area or a thousand feet beyond the campus, you can still utilize the badge. Some of our schools aren't in the best part of town. If you're coming out late at night, you press this badge eight times, then the lights are going to flash, the sirens are going to go off, and our police department is notified that there's a serious issue. So again, you can get help. And if I can, um, just as a as an aside to to Stacey's comments, that, that's 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 primarily the the usage that we get out of out of the system. Ninety eight percent of the time, that's how the badge is used. It's used for everyday day to day type incidences that occur in every school across the country, whether it is classroom disturbances, 
or a medical emergency or any other type of situation that help is needed um, at that moment. And so we, we, we pride ourselves on the ability to get um, that notification quickly um, to our responders, the responders that each school and or district designates to receive that notification. Usually it's a school administrator or if you have school resource officers, sometimes it's guidance counselors, whoever the district and or school designates as a responder. And they know exactly where to go and they just know exactly who has pressed the button. And so it's really important as we start thinking about how uh, safety intersects with you know, school and district improvement, when we start thinking about the connection between safety and, and teacher satisfaction and recruitment and retention, when we start thinking about making a connection between uh, getting help as quickly as possible and how that has a effect on instructional time. When we start thinking about all those things and, and actually put safety at the center, I think it's really key to think about how everyday usage does create that thought of safety or that that ecosystem of support that is needed for everyone in those buildings to feel better about coming to school, coming to work every day. Um, and that culture of safety that Stacy alluded to is it, what's going to drive a lot of improvement in a lot of other different ways. We need to take a break. We will have more with Dr. Roderick Sams and Stacy Locke right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. And we are back on KYW News Radio in depth, continuing our conversation with Dr. Roderick Sams and Stacy Locke. I know just about every school, I think, does school safety drills, and I'm sure they look different depending upon the school and the, the age of the children. I hope you both appreciate where I'm coming with this because I'm not asking this question in a finger wagging, why are we doing this? But I have a genuine curiosity because. Are we doing more harm than good with school active shooter drills and stuff like that? And I go back and forth on this as someone who has kids in public school. On one hand, you want them to be safe. But on the other hand, as tragic and way too many shootings as there are, they are relatively rare when you consider the number of kids that go to school. Are we traumatizing kids by putting this as you know, making them go through this and, and maybe on some of the younger things, scaring them. And where do we, you know, is it worth that preparedness? How much do these actually help if something happens? And like I said, I go back and forth, but where do you come down on that? Like, are we in some cases doing more harm than good? I'll start with you, Stacy. But I, I appreciate that question because as it's become more prevalent, you, you hear about school districts doing some interesting things where they're sending intruders on campus, where they're not notifying anybody that it's a, a staged or, or planned event to see what the reaction and the response is and, and definitely scaring kids, staff, and traumatizing people. And and I truly believe that, it and it's tough, like you said, you're asking the question, but it's important to strike a balance. And so what does that balance look like? And, and I would say it's e even parts knowledge and practice. And so knowledge is power. Knowledge is empowering to the students in that situation. And whether you're dealing with a five-year-old or an 18-year-old, there are ways that you can talk about it 
that doesn't create anxiety and doesn't create fear. There's a sense of calm as students know how to respond situationally to that color strobe going off or that audible direction being being given. And then practice the basics. If you have a lockdown drill, what are the three primary things you do? If you have a secure and teach drill, what are the three primary things you do? But not going into, you know, in-depth, over-practice, over-staged events, which again uh, causes anxiety and fear. And additionally, communicating with parents uh, what preparations are in place so they can discuss it with their, their children and discussions ahead of time to help reduce that fear and anxiety, I believe is, re- is really important. And so again, it, it's how you communicate it, but it's about knowledge and, and it's about practice. Same question to you, Roderick. Yeah, I'll, I'll echo um, Stacy's sentiments. I, I think, you know, obviously, depending upon the age of children, you have to think about your messaging and, and think about how often you practice. You have to think about what are the ways in which practice happens. Um, and then obviously, too, depending upon, you know, those factors, you know, making sure that your your other stakeholders, your your families, your parents, your even your community at large, kind of understand the approach you're taking around preparedness. Because again, you you don't want to not prepare and then ultimately a situation happens and and, and people really don't know what to do, especially younger younger children not know what to do. The same rules apply obviously in other types of mass notification events, whether it's a weather alert, whether it's those kinds of things that you already practice, right? And just making sure they understand that that's just one additional piece that they need to be ready for in case it happens. It's that that whole idea of an insurance policy that says, we'd rather you know than not know, we'd rather you have it than not have it as far as the knowledge necessary to protect you know, yourself and protect your, your peers. And so I, I fall very much in that thought process. Um, and I can just even reflect back on my, on my time as a school administrator that would be the same message I would have to to a parent who was concerned that, you know, we may be providing more anxiety than less um, and just talk through the process to make sure they understand that, you know, again, we would rather your child know what to do than not know what to do. And so I think involving parents, involving the community, um, utilizing, you know, those types of, of informational sessions will go a long way in helping parents and others help the young people understand that this is unfortunately where we are and we have to protect you as much as possible. And to that point of, unfortunately, this is where we are, this is a whole different ballgame than education was 30 years ago. I mean, I remember fire drills and they were something that you know, you knew they were coming, you went out, you stood in line, you know, some kids went out back behind the school and smoked, and I'm trying not to make light, but that was the extent of of something like this. And now this conversation we're having, like, people need to kind of appreciate where we are as opposed to what it used to be like, no? <laughs> uh, yes. So, I mean, I again, my, my career started in 1992, and that's pre-Columbine. And so, you know, we're talking about the things that I thought about every day. You know, I, I I was a principal in a rural area before I moved to the metro Atlanta area. And, you know, you had 
young people still had gun racks in the back of their pickup trucks coming to school every day. Right. Yeah. And no one ever thought anything of it. It wasn't, you know, because guys were going hunting after school or whatever. You, you think about we went from that to now that there's weapons detection systems in, in a lot of our schools and there's other ways in which we're trying to keep weapons out of our school justifiably. Right. And so we've moved to a new dynamic and we've moved to a, a, a space where, you know, prevention, notification, uh, you know, just kind of understanding threats has, you know, taken some time away from the instructional process. Right. You, you have to prepare your students and you have to do it when your students are with you. So if you're doing that. That means that you're probably taking time out of the instructional day to provide that level of understanding. And so it's a new day and age, and, and we're having to unfortunately adapt to a world by which there are harmful people out there wanting to do harmful things. We have to make sure that we inform and make sure that we have everyone understanding what the processes are in order to be the most protective as possible. And that's just something that I never had to think about when I, be I became a principal in 1999 and never thought that that would be something I had to think about. Never. Stacy, kind of the same question to you, just like this moment and where we've come from. I couldn't agree more with Roderick. When I was working uh, out West here, kids did. They showed up every day with the gun guns and their gun rack headed off to to hunt after school and it's it's something we never thought twice about or or even addressing and so we're kind of I think from the same genre in in our in time in our in our work however I think that that even though it's changed dramatically what we look at it it really depends on the school district and and what they prioritize because we have some school districts that are simply uh, reactive to situations instead of being proactive. And oftentimes you see the biggest change in practice and policy following an incident. And, it, and it's unfortunate that it has to come to that for significant change to uh, occur. But then when you run into funding, funding is a big issue for some of the technology and some of the layers of safety hardscapes that we've put in place. And so, again, you don't see any reaction in school districts till there's an incident. And and we've always been proactive around safety in, in our community. And we've built these layers over time. So So we feel really good about where we're at as far as uh, the layers that, that we have put into place. But I agree with Roderick. It's, it's just, it's changed dramatically over the time and education is usually slow to catch up. And uh, again, it just appears to me that, that the reaction comes after an incident instead of prior to. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.